Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. This show is uh, a show that talks about challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. And tonight we'll be discussing the idea of re-engineering society and how CRT is doing just that, but starting with our children. So I'd like to start, though, by saying that I am aware of the pain, the confusion, and hurt that this may cause. I get the whole trigger warning thing, and I want to be sensitive in treating this subject. I don't care to be a provocateur tonight, and sometimes our shows provoke, but that's just not what we're going to do tonight. All right. And second, while we won't be immune from accusations that this episode is hopelessly biased, will commit to being objective and civil at all times. I want to say from the beginning that not everything about CRT is bad, and I know my guest panel here will t- talk more about that later. So it's not all bad. But ho- however, we want to uh, point out and, and, and try to give a full presentation of, of uh, the basics, at least, of uh, CRT. And then third, it's important to know the difference between learning about CRT, one, right? And, and second, the difference uh, versus espousing its ideas. So I think it's good to know its history, what ideas contributed to its development, and the experts behind the theory. But like I said, it's quite another thing to espouse its ideas. So we're going to try to cover those things. So those are the three th- kind of foundational things that uh, will guide our discussion this evening. So if you recall, uh, gentlemen, we did a show on this a few months ago. So if you guys want more information on that, just maybe uh, uh, listen to that and then listen to this one as well, because we're focusing on CRT and our children tonight. That's what we're going to be doing. Uh, So our aim tonight is we want to help folks, especially parents who have kids in K-12, through to be able to, at minimum, discern what their kids are learning in terms of CRT indoctrination, and at best be able to articulate the basic tenets of CRT and how to respond to it. So uh, I was talking to a mom this afternoon, just preparing for the show, right? And uh, she's a mom of a fifth grader, and she told me uh, after she uh, learned what we were doing tonight that uh, we were going to be talking about CRT. And she said she never really got involved in local politics or advocating for this and that, writing senators or all that, until she learned that there were going to be laws that would change the way her kids are being taught uh, especially these new ideas. And so that's when she sort of got activated and she became an activist for this. So she's writing uh, other parents on, you know, in the school board and, and talking to local officials, and that really got her animated. Um, so that's, that's, that's something good. So uh, we want to get into the show, and to help me with this, I have invited a couple good friends uh, one of them you know already really well, Dr. Jacob Daniel. How are you doing? I'm very well, Harry. Good okay. to be here in the show. And you're healthy enough to be here, so that's good. Very Praise much. God. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and then uh, another good friend of mine is Tony Costello. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Harry. It's a yeah. little late uh, in the evening for me or er- way too early in the morning, but uh, but it's good to be here in, no matter what. I know both of you have... <laughs> 
uh, read widely on this, and uh, I know you both are involved in uh, this amazing podcast. Everybody should be listening. It's uh, Equal Justice, right? They can find that uh, on, on, on Facebook, right? Yes. Facebook and YouTube. There's a YouTube Facebook, channel. Facebook and YouTube, all right. And, uh, and also on our uh, website, equaljusticeforum.com. Okay. There you go. Uh, so you can you can do that. Um, so I love these guys. They're doing great work, um, and they're just a bunch of bright people. Now, I, I know we didn't talk about this, but how did you guys get into um, CRT? Because you know I've been reading a lot of stuff on on the things that that you guys have put out there, and uh, obviously it's a good stuff. But I notice this fervency, this urgency. And uh, just good stuff. And I know you guys have been involved in uh, a lot of advocacy, uh, obviously, against CRT and its harmful effects on um, on culture, society. Uh, I, I know, Jacob, I know you, you and I talked, and you've been involved in uh, talking in front of school boards, mm-hmm. uh, and parents are there, and the community uh, is there as well. Why don't you talk more about that? I know both of you guys have been involved in that. Uh, uh, tell me what's been going on and, and why sure. why that's been sort of a new thing for you guys. Well, it's kind of related, obviously, to your mission and vision. But uh, but I, personally, I'm excited that you guys are getting into it. So give us a little bit of background how you guys started with that. Yeah, with the school one, um, so in the month of March, we learned that the State Board of Education here in California – unanimously passed uh, a new ethnic studies curriculum for the schools, and that was being introduced in various districts. So uh, so what happened was actually the parents got really concerned in terms of uh, the strategy being adopted to push this within the schools. That was the initial concern that they had. And they were complaining that they were not being given much time to study and to learn what this curriculum was about. Uh, Some of the parents uh, took on themselves to actually go and share information with other parents and local community. And um, so one of my friends reached out to me asking if he could be of any help to them. So I got connected with our team together and just we had this privilege of talking to these uh, organizers. They wanted to come together and engage with the school board. And we stepped in and uh, basically spoke uh, as to what the dangers are in terms of exposing our kids to this particular curriculum. Uh, um, so we we were not able to actually access the curriculum initially, but we had a presentation. And that had a lot of red flags in terms of things that had not been there previously in terms of what and the, the, the manner in which our kids are being taught. Uh, so we did engage with a couple of school districts. And let me say this. It, it has been initially the efforts of the parents, but the whole community came together. Grandparents came together. Uh, people who were really concerned about this new curriculum came together and engaged with the board. But at the same time, they were engaging, and they were not well prepared, if I may put it that way, because they didn't have enough time in terms of studying the background be- behind CRT and um, uh, the consequences that will be there when implemented. So that's when we stepped in, and Equal Justice had this privilege of uh, being available uh, to uh, speak on behalf of them to the school boards, and it's been reaping some good benefits. Mm. How, how many times or how many school boards or uh, PTA meetings or any of these kinds of things uh, that you guys were able to, to do? Uh, so we did only two. 
but that's been, I mean, uh, when we're talking about two, it's not just uh, parents from these schools, but we're also talking about the community members who came together and were exposed to some of the ideas. Uh, so I would say it did go beyond that. We had more opportunities, but we didn't have enough time and resources to actually go and help uh, all, all the invitations that we had. Very good, very good. Um, describe to me the mood in, the, in, in that room when you guys were presenting. Uh, did you feel like the parents were behind you? And, and, and what about the uh, school, school board officials? Like, were they sort of uh, proactive in introducing these kinds of ideas or maybe naive, uh, naively accepting what's coming from their bosses? You know what I mean? Or uh, were they advocates or just cooperating? Or There were many factors. We need to understand that. It is, that's why it's so important for us to know who is in the board. You know, it's not just a movement on the part of the parents to just come together and raise their objection against ideas such as this, but they need to be proactive in terms of choosing who is in the board. And because they have a lot of power in terms of impacting the decisions on matters such as this. So definitely because parents had this initial concern with the strategy, one of the strategies was not to let people actually speak for three minutes that they mentioned initially. They reduced that to two minutes. Mm. So uh, not just that, uh, they would cut the mics. And not just that, at the, uh, it's one of the meetings, what they did was actually they canceled the meeting, in-person mm -hmm. meeting, and made it all online. So, well, so and the, you got to tell them. You got to tell them what the rationale for canceling the meeting was, because they there was uh, there was a report. I think it was in the Orange County Register that there was a concern about the health. I, I don't know if violence. The word violence was used, but um, they did have concern in terms of there would safety. be safety. Safety. There was a concern of safety. It wasn't clear whether it was just about safety from. COVID. COVID, yeah. yeah. But that these rebel parents, I mean, it, it, there, there's propaganda going on. I and mean, we got to, we do have to point that out. The way words are used, the way things are reported on, you know, it, it, it was clearly to, to make the parents who were pushing back against the application of critical race theory all the way down to kindergarten to make them look like rabble rousers, you know, sort of like, I hate to say it, but kind of like uninformed sort of rubes, right? Um, and, and in all these meetings, I have only seen civil discourse. Yeah. I've seen from these parents, they were really concerned, but they had good posture in terms of how to engage with ideas uh, concerning CRT. So it's not that they were in any way threatening or anything of that sort, but they were being projected as being a threat. Yeah. And just because um, we have to say, I mean, very ethnically diverse. Okay. So as well, I mean, it was, there, uh, there were people a, from uh, all races that yeah. I know <laughs> coming together and, and, and raising their concerns. And ones we never even knew existed. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, but you were able to speak at length though, right? Uh, not a lot. We, we were able to actually uh, present uh, a short statement. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Like everybody had like two or three minutes. But we had more engagement with the parents. So the parents actually got together and had a meeting okay. on which we, we actually had a panel as well. Oh, so nice. we had four speakers who came and discussed on CRT and other issues. At the same time, we had a panel where we engaged with the parents and uh, answered their questions. So that was maybe two, two, two and a half hours. Yeah. That was meeting. an encouraging turnout. Yeah, and that's, that's why good. we want to let people know that 
there are more and more um, people organizing uh, at the ground roots level, right? Raising their concerns and their voices about what's now getting pushed all the way down, like I said, all the way down to the kindergarten. And and there is an informed resistance. It's not just emotional resistance, but an informed resistance that is rising up among parents because they are seeing that uh, the dangers that is there in terms of not being aware of as to what the content of the curriculum is. Right. And that's good. And that's part of our aim for tonight is to add to that, to uh, build confidence and courage in those who want to speak against uh, the dangers of CRT. Now, uh, we were debating whether we should take calls, but I think we should maybe do one or two. I know we've got some uh, content to cover. So I'm going to give out the number because this is a good opportunity to call in with your questions and speak with uh, the experts here. And so that number is 888-995-5552. Again, that's 888-995-KKLA. You can call in, and uh, we're going to take maybe one or two because we do want to move and cover a lot of content. And by the way, this episode um, of the Apologetics.com radio will be on our site uh, at some point. We're currently revamping the site, so I don't know exactly when, but uh, that's something to keep checking, and uh, it, it'll it'll be there, and uh, you're more than welcome to contact us again. Um, so again, let, let's, uh, let's start with CRT, all right? Let's get a crash course on CRT. Oh, and by the way, I want to say, and we, we talked about this, uh, please note that as we get into the discussion that uh, we believe that uh, if you assimilate some of these things, even in a short amount of time, that I believe you'll be well-equipped enough to be able to articulate the tenets, the pros and cons of CRT and, and how it affects, again, according to the title of our show, society, you know, how it could re-engineer society. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not a better society. <laughs> so what is CRT? Give us a... Uh, 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 a bird's eye view of, of that, uh, which is sufficient and will aid our discussion tonight. Well, you know, here I'm going to come at this from a little bit of uh, historical uh, lineage, okay. which not everybody does. But I started reading about critical theory um, about four years ago when I was doing a master's degree in theology. Came across the works of Herbert Marcuse who is a very important name in this discussion, um, and the Frankfurt School uh, theorists, who were all... Uh, Give us know, a date on that. Well, the Frankfurt School theorists all, all fled Germany during World War II early, and the, they were all Jewish, or of Jewish heritage. They fled in the 30s, came over to the United States, wound up on the East Coast in places like Brandeis and Columbia University, uh, Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, her, uh, uh, the sociologist Eric Fromm. Uh, the most impactful of all of them was probably Herbert Marcuse. And, of course, these were brilliant, I mean, learned, learned uh, philosophers. But what we have to understand about the original or the early philosophical critical theorists is they were all agnostics or atheists, materialists. And... For critical theory, as opposed to traditional theory, um, eliminates 
how can I put it simply? It eliminates any sense of transcendent reality. Okay, we're dealing here with only everything is imminent. Everything is uh, that ex- that is real or that we can know is produced by societies. It's produced by human minds or a collective of human minds. So the idea um, that we can grasp truth as if we could discover something out there, which we then can align ourselves with, like God's design for the world. It's got to get rid of all of that. That doesn't exist in any critical theory. Um, the other aspect of critical theory is that, and this is the Marxist part, is it is fundamentally about revolutionary change. There's still sort of an end goal, a teleology here. And that is sort of to usher in the perfect community, right? A perfect democracy where there's no uh, authority structure, there's no hierarchy. Everybody is essentially an authority unto themselves. Um, and uh, Marcuse's, I mean, the, the groundbreaking, or the uh, groundbreaking, the seminal work there is a book called Eros and Civilization. Now, Marcuse's critical theory was heavily invested in breaking down the traditional family structures and redefining human sexuality. But um, this critical theory from the Frankfurt School informed, informed to a great deal, although ideas change over time, critical legal theorists of the 80s and the 90s. And these were brilliant um, thinkers, men and women from at Harvard and, and various law schools around the country who were looking at uh, the law and critiquing not just bad laws, but law itself as conceived of by the founding fathers of this country who came from, obviously, Europe, which is very white-looking. And, and that's when you get uh, the critical legal studies with people like Derek Bell, uh, Angela Harris, not to be confused with Angela Davis, who was a critical race theorist of a sort. Um, and they initially looking at, at the problems in, in the law, some of which they were making very keen observations. But like inequities and sentencing and things yeah, like that. Right, concrete sure. things that you one could identify, analyze, and, and potentially correct. Right. But then you know it goes beyond that uh, to just saying that the entire system is inherently racist. The entire legal system. Well, if it's in, it's inherently racist, it has to be fundamentally changed. Now, here we're already, as Christians, our ears should be getting perking up and our yellow flag should be going up because what is much of Western law based on, Hmm. if not the Bible? Um, So critical legal studies, which then leads to critical race theory, um, has a certain framework in place that is already going to make it fundamentally incompatible with a biblical worldview because it has an entirely different metaphysics, to use a big word. I mean, nothing transcendent. It's entirely materialistic in that sense. And um, it's not seeking And just describe for our yeah. listeners, when you say materialist, what do you mean by that? Well, in this case, I just mean that if there's only the material world okay. of which human beings are a part. Again, there's nothing transcendent. No the objective person. reality. 
Right. Yeah. So knowledge um, also for the I mean, there can be like things like social facts that you can point out, you know, just by doing sociology and getting empirical data. But what are you going to compare that against to make uh, judgments and evaluations, moral judgments and evaluations? It's just whatever society says. So this is where you get into this Marxist dynamic of everything is political. There's just groups of in society. Some are more powerful, some are less. Some are in a, an oppressor group. For Marx, it was based on class. For the critical race theorists, it's not just class. Now it's class and race. Mm. So you just find another social category where you see disparities. And wherever those disparities are, it has to be because there are there's a power imbalance in the structure. So the structure needs to be undone. So the revolutionary base has shifted from class to race. For the critical race theorists, yeah, right. there are and still that's just the beginning theorists. too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's just because the beginning. then there's gender and everything else. Right, as well. right. Yeah. But that's I think the critical theory part is, as opposed to traditional theory, everything is imminent. Everything is about societies mm. and what they produce. They pro society basically produces reality. Yeah. So that's the critical theory part. And then the Marxist part is, so within society then, where do we identify these power dynamics? Mm -hmm. And the, we, we, we find them through disparities. And whatever there's disparity, then something needs to be radically changed. And moral authority becomes a zero-sum game. So what happens is that it moves from um, the oppressor to the oppressed, right? So it's only the oppressed who qualifies to have a moral authority because they don't participate in the dominant power structure. Right. Well, I would say, Jake, even right. morality collapses into politics on Marxism and on critical theory. So morality, it's almost Nietzschean. It's almost like mora the mor morality just is whatever the more powerful uh, uh, subgroup of the culture says. That is what is moral, Right. right? Now they don't. Not every critical race theorist writes this way. There is a sensitivity, right, to the to the oppressed class. But one has to wonder if the oppressed class suddenly gained power, then, um, then the morality has changed yeah. essentially because morality and politics are basically the same thing. The ironic thing about this anti-racism theme, right, that CRT brings. Again, it, it, it seems like there's a noble cause behind it, for sure. I mean, who wants racism? Nobody. Yeah. And so if this is an anti-racism look at the world. But the ironic thing is that it becomes the solution they provide, which if even if they are able to articulate one, is uh, it produces more racism. So that's really amazing how that uh, – uh, uh, you know how how that happens. So, could you guys speak to that? Like a lot of this is self-refuting in in many ways. Like, like for instance, now I mean, if you say we should be colorblind, that itself is racist. Yeah. Um, like a a any form, a any almost anything you you uh, you, you want to address when it comes as pertains to CRT, um, unless you're part of the minority or the oppressed, you're just racist now. 
That's why one of the key terms in CRT would be identity formation. And one of the books that I would really recommend every listeners to get hold of would be uh, Carl Truman's um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Mm -hmm. where he talks about expressive individualism. And um, Tony, you mentioned about losing the transcendence. It's no more. It's no more the external reality that defines our identity. Whereas well, it comes down to the individual to form their own identity, and in doing so, we create multiple identities. Or, yeah, or the social, the subgroup of culture that you can identify. I mean, we got to remember there's no such thing as human nature hmm. on this view that we sh- that we all share. So you are just this bundle of social properties. That either you choose to, uh, uh, you know, ascribe to yourself or somebody ascribes to you, right? You're just a bundle of property. There's not a human nature that we all share. There's not a common humanity hmm. in that sense. Right. It's anti-essentialism, anti-anything essential about human persons. So, I mean, that's a fundamental – I'm trying to remember the question that you just asked, though, Harry, um, about – oh, about – about having the, the inverse effect. Yeah, yeah, I know. The well, I'd like to. I don't know if we got a break coming up, but um, I'd like to tell a little bit of a story of the, you know, my, some of my experiences in in Germany in the 1990s about this, because this is a real thing. This is a some kind of social socio psychological effect where, you know, if you just call a certain uh, group of person or group of people the same thing over and over and over again. You're very much uh, putting yourself in the position of causing those people to or encouraging those people just to embrace that identity. Right. right. Okay, so we need to t- think about like whether or not CRT will actually cause actual racism to increase. Right. And I have a story on that too, a yeah. personal story on that. So we'll definitely uh, talk about that after the break. I know we're coming up on a break pretty soon. I hear the music. But um, – You've listened to about 30 minutes of this, and uh, if you want to give us a call, we'll, we'll take maybe one or two calls. Give us a call at 888-995-KKLA if you have a comment or question, and we will catch you on the other side of the break. of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio on the internet and now in the life of the mind conferences if you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air on the web and in events near you Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. Hi, ladies. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. Have you ever asked yourself, what does the world see in me? In 1 Peter 2.9, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
It seems to me that the church today is living in FOMO, fear of missing out. We have embraced all the trappings of this momentary life, seeking to fit in rather than being set apart. We have forfeited our holy identities as God's people. Woman of God, let's not forget we have been chosen by God and for God. Let's live in such a way to bring Him glory, who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. When a fine musician gives a masterful performance, some credit goes to the musician. But don't forget the composer. Hi, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Remember, the music is the composer's gift to the musician. Then the musician applies his or her skill to the composition to draw the best from it, to thrill the hearts of the listeners. What does that mean to us spiritually? God has created us. He's given us spiritual gifts, and now our goal should be His good pleasure in the exercising of those gifts. With God at work in us, we are to live to glorify Him, and that's music to His ears. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Well, welcome back to the uh, second half of our radio program, the Apologetics.com radio program. And um, it's a show where we like to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe and tonight our topic is re-engineering society and how CRT is doing just that, starting with our children. So, so far we've uh, tried to understand what CRT is. And uh, so I'm going to challenge you guys. I, I, I know, oh, by the way, you know, even as I'm doing my own reading on CRT and you guys get this um, sense too, and I see, Jacob, you brought the book, Cynical Theories by... Pluckrose and Lindsay, which uh, it's a book I would recommend. Uh, and by the way, I mean, all of the authors we've mentioned are not even Christians. Um, yeah, some, have, some of them are— Truman is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Carl okay. Truman yeah. is a theologian. But, Christian. but some of the material we're, we're using are primary sources and good secondary sources. Yeah. But um, uh, if—you uh, uh, know, it's important to understand this part about CRT— if it is sort of slippery and hard to grasp, it's because by design it was to begin with. Uh, in on that book right there, uh, the Pluckrose and Lindsay book, um, they actually uh, trace its history, its beginnings uh, to postmodernism. So there was a turn in the you know seventeenth century, eighteenth century, where um, truth was uh, just beginning to get challenge, you know? Like you, you mentioned the phrase, discover truth versus manufacturing truth. So yeah. we, we believe that we discover truth, right? But we don't make it up. So with CRT, though, it, its very foundation uh, heavily relies on manufactured truth. It's subjective truth. It's truth that... Uh, lived experiences. Or lived people. experiences, right? Uh, that there is no capital T truth right. out there. And so that's why it's so hard, because... Um, CRT proponents might say, 
this and that. And then uh, another proponent might say the opposite of that, and it actually doesn't matter. And so that's why it's so hard to pin it down because uh, if, if, you, um, if you point things out, then they're slippery. They'll, they'll just say, well, I didn't mean it that way, yeah. or you're just not understanding it. Or can we really understand X, Y, Z anyways, you know? So, uh, again, that's why, you, you know, you kind of have to do your homework. And it, it is sometimes hard to understand, but by its very nature, it is. And so that's important to just know. Well, I mean, I- ideas come together over time in history through various people. So, I mean, CRT is, in, in one sense, it's more of a movement and there are various critical race theorists. But I, in, in, in reading more of the scholarly material from the 90s, I've seen strains of postmodernism with regards to epistemology, how we know things, uh, progress, classic progressivism, going back to like Rousseau, man is born free, but everywhere in chains, right? Which Carl Truman talks quite a bit about Rousseau in his book, uh, to existentialism, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre and, you know, existence uh, before essence. I determine what I am through a sheer act of the will. You know, so to define CRT is hard. I mean, in one sense, you could just say critical legal scholars took Marx's theory of class, of all of history being a history of class warfare, and then just applied it to all of history since at least the 16th century being a history of race warfare. Yeah, That, that would be one simple way of looking at Many of the critical race theorists. And I like that, Tony. And that's simple, and I think that's totally accurate, too. And, and how is that even manifest in culture and society today, right? I mean, we're now divided by races, mm-hmm. and then you, you add the whole understanding of intersectionality. So it's layers upon layers of your identity that is stacked upon each other, and that's how now, uh, let's say, Jacob— uh, not only are you Indian, you're also male, you're heterosexual. And so all of those kinds of things become either plus or minuses of your identity, yeah. depending on the powers that determine that. Yeah, so what happens is basically I might be oppressed in one identity that I hold and might be an oppressor in the other. That's right. <laughs> right. Uh, and in that hierarchy, we always see uh, straight, white, male, Christian to be on the top in the sense the top oppressor yeah. of all people below them. Right. Uh, so in, in doing so, we segregate people to the point that there is no, as you said, common nature of us being human. Yeah. And as a Christian, one of the dangers of this idea is that we will have to abandon the fact that revelation, which we hold to be a source of truth, we have to abandon that completely. The only revelation that makes sense is individual revelation of one's feeling and preferences, not as objective, creating objective truth. God's revelation is an objective truth applicable for all people in all cultures around the world. For all we time. would never be able to hold to that truth. Yeah. Personal experience becomes the, higher, the highest authority. Um, and it is the personal experience is not under the authority of Scripture or the long history of the church, teaching of the church, uh, if you're Roman Catholic, especially, but not not just if you're Roman Catholic. You know, and uh, um, you know, we were talking about this in the in the write up 
again, if there's no common human nature that we share, the nature that Jesus Christ redeems is our common human nature, hmm. right? I was just explaining this to my class uh, that was teaching on C.S. Lewis. Lewis talks about this in chapter five and six of book four, Mere Christianity, um, about the, na- the, human, the common human nature is what Jesus Christ redeems. And then we, we just have to appropriate that um, act of uh, salvific redemption. But on a critical race theory view or a critic, any critical theory view, if you are, if you are, if there's no common nature that we share, then in either in one sense, theologically speaking, let's just say, let's posit that there's been 20 billion people that have existed since mankind walked the earth. Christ would have to incarnate 20 million, to- 20 billion times so that he could redeem each particular individual because each particular individual needs a particular customized salvation or if not each individual as many sort of social categories that we can kind of come up with which Lindsay and points out in his book could be an infinite number of social categories christ would have to incarnate as for as many social categories which is a which is a pantheistic hindu understanding of reincarnation groups could be saved then but Christ doesn't do that. God comes into the world one time to redeem human nature. So there's, there's all kinds of theological implications if we accept the critical theorist or critical race theorist view on the human person. Yeah. And when we deny this common nature, then we also object to the fact that um, there is something common about us which is broken, which we talk from yes. a Christian perspective, original sin. Uh, that we don't participate, right? Our nature is basically blank slate and we are corrupted by the system. So you have to actually improve the system to improve the nature, which is corrupted. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so Well, I think in CRT, there is no improvement of the system. It's got to be destroyed. Yeah, I, the, I, the foundations have to be have ripped out, right, right. which yes. is, again, that Marxist impulse because Marx was replacing religion. I hope people understand that. He wasn't just an economist. He was a philosopher, right? I would say he was rather exchanging, re, yeah. not just replacing, but exchanging it with Absolutely. Marxism as a religion. Well, yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest another book for our audience, although it's a little bit more of an academic book. But Alistair McIntyre wrote a book in 1968, while he was still a socialist, uh, before he became a Roman Catholic, called Marxism and Christianity. Uh, if you want to understand what Marx's goal truly was, read that book. It's not just an economic theory. He had a goal in mind yeah. to renew human nature in yeah. place of religion. And to connect it with our discussion tonight, um, the whole task of the project of education has thereby moved from virtue building to creating activists. Because we understood that individuals by nature are broken, they need to be trained in virtue building, right? That used to be the task of education, but that's not anymore. We actually move from there to making education as a means for finding career. Mm-hmm. And from mm-hmm. there, which became utilitarian. Yes. And from there to a place where we are now teaching them uh, to actually create their own identities. We are building their identities. That's not a task as we were talking about yeah, of this, any education. This is so important to point out. We are now, what we saw and what's going on in California and in other states we are handing over the task of telling or helping children to understand what they are. 
to second and third grade teachers paid by the state. I mean, that is quite a different pedagogy than we're talking classical education. This is teachers. Do we even want do second and third grade teachers want to be burdened with that task of trying to figure out what to tell a child it is, Mm -hmm. not just who it is Mm -hmm. or like how to act or behave, but Mm -hmm. what the child is. And we have done that by replacing two institutions whose responsibility is to build that help our children build those that that identity, which is the church and And the family. family. And we have broken both of them. And the way the family is being spoken about today is frightening. That's right, yeah. It's frightening. They're assigning new categories to families, you know. The father and the mother, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, there's a... What are they called now? There's a new term? Yeah, there's a... They are called caretakers, right? Caring persons or something. Something like that. Uh, Yeah, it's frightening. You're right. All right, so let me ask you guys this question. For a parent, what are some of the... um, red flags they should be looking out for when uh, their kids are reporting certain things that they're learning uh, in the classroom or if you happen to uh, get a copy of uh, the syllabus or whatever. What are some of those red flags that they should be looking out for? Like, for instance, here's a good example, right? So I know with CRT, um, a lot of people are confused over over these two terms, equity and equality. So they replace... um, they've now taken uh, equality and replaced it with equity. And you would think, oh, they're probably just the same. But um, And that's why a lot of folks are just like uh, not worried about this because they don't see the difference. But let's say that that might be a good example um, when the word equity is being used instead of equality. But I know uh, we were talking about this during the break. Um, even the fact that we're doing this show – uh, it gives me some apprehension because now we're automatically called racist, and uh, you know we're we have voice uh, we have faces for radio, right? But if you guys don't know, I was born and raised in the Philippines. I'm a Filipino. You're an Indian, Jacob, and you are more I'm Italian. The, I'm the Italian guy. Yeah, you're the uh, token white dude here. Yeah. But uh, according to CRT, uh, the fact that we're even pointing this out, we're racist already. So. Well, I think we got to grow thick enough skin and we got to understand that a lot of these things are just used as psychological and rhetorical devices to make us not put up because people are smart. They know that we have people have consciences and they know that people will usually want to get along, go along to get along. Um, and again, I'll reference two more, again, non-Christians who are just all over this, Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter. And these are two black men who have all of the intellectual chops and credentials necessary to talk about these things. It's just going to take – and, you know, if the thing is it's not, it's not if, you're, if you're black or minority or a person of color and you speak out against this, you're okay. You'll get called an Uncle Tom. You'll get called uh, some kind of derogatory name. So it's going to take some gumption. It's going to take some – you don't have to be – nobody's got to be a jerk. But you've got to have some courage. Courage is also one of the classic virtues, right? Courage, justice, prudence, and temperance. Mm-hmm. So we're going to need some courage, and we're going to have to speak truth in love, of course. But we don't need to allow ourselves to be labeled falsely. Jesus didn't – 
Jesus didn't accept the labels that were given to him. He's told people who he was, mm -hmm. the Messiah, right? The Son of God. I mean, he, he didn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm a faker. Mm. <laughs> so. I'll add a few points. One is that parents, please cease not to be too skeptical about common sense, yeah. <laughs> right? If, if you see your children bringing ideas or that they're learning and that goes against your common sense, question it. Right, And the other thing I would say is that don't apologize for the truth, even with your kids. Let them see that you're convicted uh, about the truth that you hold and that you're fighting for it. That's what when, they, when you model that, they will go and model that. They'll have the courage to do that in their school setting as well. But remember also this, that when they are, if, if they're spending more time in school and being doctrinated by them than being taught by you at home, that, is, that can be a red flag too. Yeah. So you have to be intentionally invested in them. Remember this, Christ reminded us not to offer to Caesar that which has the image of God. And your children have the image of God on them. So beware that you are not offering your children to Caesar. And one more red flag that I would say is that if anything that you see that makes, and I always talk about this, Tony, you know this, right? If they're teaching your kids to see all of life through the lens of one thing, that is a red flag, be it race or be it anything. Life is not just about one thing. There are many things, many factors that creates our identity, many factors that creates our, uh, the way we do public behavior and things like that. Let's be rational about those things and engage with our kids from all those different factors, not just one. Okay. No, yeah. that's good. That's you know, good. I mean, Jacob talked about the, the parent-child relationship. You know, here's, you know, um, this is a point that our colleague Logan brought up. Uh, Logan reads a lot of G.K. Chesterton, so I'm going to screw up the quote. But he made uh, the point that Chesterton was making is, look, parents, you're not doing this because you hate people who espouse critical race theory or social justice. You're doing this because you love your children, your family members, your um your your in your interracial friends. Our relationships our relationships, our friendships, our love relationships are what we are safeguarding. Because the potential that this has for divisiveness and God forbid, even some just kind of just all kinds of conflict is is very great. So we're doing this because we love people. We're fighting out of a place of love, and our relationships ultimately are what gonna are what gonna are, are going to be the key factor in winning this this battle. Okay, um, so that that you know, and I, I'd say as far as red flags from when you see things about. Uh, school teachers helping kids figure out their social identity and things like that, just say, that's my kid. Hmm. You teach him math. You teach him biology. I'll worry about his, his or her identity. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you were going to mention a personal experience with this, um, how I, you know, in the beginning I said how ironic it is that CRT sheds a light on uh, racism, and it's an anti-racist 
program or ideology, and yet it uh, the ironic thing is it makes us more racist in some ways. You, you, yeah. you said you had a personal experience. Well, this was a phenomenon I saw playing out in Germany. I lived in Germany for about seven years in the late 90s, early 2000s. And if you were a schoolboy school or schoolgirl in Germany in the 90s, like a drumbeat, you were told by the popular culture and the elites and the entertainment industry that you just were an anti-Semite. I guess it's just in virtue of being ethnically German or because your grandfather probably fought in the war. That's, you were just labeled. You were labeled an anti-Semite. And, but to some extent, that was – it was educators who were generally worried about the, some kind of – the great evil of national socialism rising again. So there was a good intent behind that. But this phenomenon is real. At some point – if you tell people this enough, especially when they're young, a, a portion of that group will start to simply embrace that identity. I just wrote an article on this. Another example of this is white racists who for years called black uh, – labeled black men especially as sexual deviants and thugs. And in the 90s, what did we get? Gangster rap. Okay, fine. If you're going to call us that, we'll just embrace it. And then they actually went and made millions of dollars off of it. Well, now in Germany, a couple of generation later, that generation that was being told you're all anti-Semites. Anytime you display any national pride, you're you're showing yourself to be a Nazi. Well, now you have a rising right-wing party again in Germany because they've organized. <clears throat> Now, Glenn Lowry just had an a, a interview recently, and he's pointing – and Glenn Lowry is a black economist from Brown University, brilliant man, wise man. And he's saying, look, are you going to keep labeling you know, people as inherently racist, ingrates, privileged? You know, what, what's that ultimately going to lead to? Some of those people are going to start embracing that identity. And is that the kind of world we want to live in? So I do think CRT also has the potential and is causing actual racism right. to, again, increase. Right. Hmm. Uh, I'll plug another book here that our listeners can read, a book by Shelby Steele. It's called oh, White amen. Guilt. That kind of argues along the same line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that author. Um, content of our character is a great read as well. I, I think that uh, a few years prior to White Guilt, uh, but yeah, good books. Um, I remember uh, this one one experience I had. I had confronted, or I mean, confronted is seems like a, a strong word, but uh, I was talking to um, an evangelical leader, and I, I was sad about the current state of affairs in in uh in our culture and, and this was a christian organization but there was a lot of emphasis on anti-racist um programs and and sensitivities and things like that and and uh although they were all i know noble ends in in whatever uh I said, you know, it's it's it pains me because now I look at everything and I look at people now by their ethnicity and their race and 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 all of those things and it's hard now to not do that because 
kind of like the cultural milieu sort of descends on your thinking that that's what everybody else is thinking as well that's that's what we see in the media in the newspapers and you know whatever and and uh it's everywhere right education government and i mean i think we we really got to resist that especially because we just we just know that's not true right right Mm -hmm. well i know we've got like less than four minutes left uh uh, what are some of the theological uh, backings, or as Christians, as uh, believers, what, what is really the solution? Uh, I know we always say the gospel is, but isn't it amazing that uh, because CRT is so corrupt and does not actually offer solutions that the gospel shines even brighter, right? But what are the elements of the gospel that you can just plug in here and it would make a lot of sense and say, aha, this is what we need. From a Christian perspective, we have something very valuable that's been given to us. It's, it's a truth by revelation, the fact that we all are made in the image of God. And that's something we need to fight for and really prepare our children and our church to really be able to articulate that and translate that into our culture. And we need to cease to accept this falsehood that CRT is the default operating ideology of our American culture. No, it is not, and it it shouldn't be. And also, I would say that as in Amos chapter 5, verse 7, we read, we need to be aware of this, that there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And as Christians, as people called by the Lord, we have a responsibility to speak truth to the power. And let's do that together. Okay, I love it. So one, acknowledge that we are created in God's image, that we're not divided selves. We are one whole self. Yes, broken. Yeah. But unlike CRT, we are redeemable. Yes. Um, So that's good. Um, Because just by ourselves and, and looking at all of the ways we could have identities, it is hopeless. And because we are redeemable, there is a possibility of forgiveness and atonement. That's right. That's the ultimate thing that we all need in our brokenness. Okay. You know, I'd say since the fall, man has been trying to do two things. One, be his own creator. And two, be good without God. And that's all we're trying to do. With, with, that's all critical race is. is trying to be its own creator, create my own identity. And we're trying to be morally good apart from any kind of relationship with the creator who is goodness himself. And the problem is when we try and do this and we have to take at some point something like total control over all aspects of, of society. And that usually just leads to incredible devastation and human damage. The other thing uh, I'd say is what CRT does not offer and what we've mentioned before is um, forgiveness. Where's the forgiveness? How do we be forg- How are we forgiven? Yes. Yeah. How are we forgiven? And when do we forgive others? Right. I don't see any answer in the CRT worldview. Right. Well, um, I know our show is coming to a qu- quick end now. And uh, our hope is that after you've listened to our show, this particular episode, that your faith has been challenged and that uh, you are better equipped to answer some of the challenges or cultural challenges of our day, such as CRT. Uh, I want to uh, say thank you to Jacob. Thank, thank you. you to Tony uh, for being here, for providing a lot of the content, to Jared for
for thank you back there, making sure we sound good and that uh, you guys hear us pretty well. And uh, and special thank you to you, our listeners. And so I just wanted to say real quick that if uh, this is helpful, if, if you don't mind sending us a donation because we rely on your support and uh, every uh, financial assistance counts toward us being in the air. We'd appreciate that very much. And so uh, I want to say goodbye, and we will see you, uh, or we will get back to you uh, next week. All right. Good night. <laughs>